Cephalence. Cephalence. I, I hit record. So I'm joined again by my good friend Tim Keefe. We, uh, I still, we've done two podcasts, Rust Belt LG1 and Rust Belt LG2. And this one's going to be a little bit different. You uh, said you were coming in town for Christmas um, and the holidays, and you were going to be in Canton. So you guys are coming down to hang out in Columbus. And uh, so we've been hanging out all day. But um, we're kind of going to do something different. And I, I really like this idea. So, Tim, do you want to explain what we're going to do here today? Yeah, sure. So I have come to Columbus once again to visit with the illustrious Drew Sample and seek uh, his sage advice. Especially- I prefer the term mage. Mage? Okay. I'm more of a Taoist than a pagan. Okay. So, whatever he wants to call himself. I've come to seek his advice on two specific things. One is about farming again. And uh, the first time we talked was about permaculture. But second of all was about the logistics and the mechanics of running a business. So, in particular, um, as we covered in the first podcast, my girlfriend and I, participated in a permaculture course, which ended earlier this year. It was for six months. Uh, It was in the fall and then started up in the spring, and then we got a PDC uh, certificate for that. And I thought it was a good grounding in the permaculture principles. Of course, I've been listening to Jack Spirko for a long time, and I get everything that he says, and, you know, read David Holmgren and uh, Bill Mollison and all that. So I don't, I'm not an expert in it. I can always refer back to it. So that was the foundation. However, this time around, I'm looking at a program that I shall not mention. It is based in Virginia, near the D.C. area where I live, and it is geared towards veterans, specifically those that want to get involved in agriculture and maybe running their own farm business. Yeah. So the, the basics of this program is it goes for a year, once a weekend, Saturdays and Sundays, 12 months. Uh, there is a fee involved, and it's a little bit a little bit of an investment, but I think for what they provide, at least what I can tell on paper, it might be worth it. And it's it's twelve meetings, or it's every weekend, or once a once a month. Once a month. Okay, that's Saturdays and Sundays. So you get oh, so it's two days once a month. Yeah. Well, that's Great. not bad. Same thing that we did with our permaculture course. Okay. All day. Okay. Saturday, Sunday, all day, once a month. So this is more, again, geared towards running your own business. And they have a list here that I'm looking at the the application of all the things that they're going to cover in this program that is geared towards getting veterans to start their own farm business. So I've come to see Drew to ask him, you know, if Drew were in my position and he were starting at this, given what he knows about running his own urban farm and his involvement in permaculture and whatnot, how would he approach this and... Just looking at, again, the mechanics of the business. Yeah, so I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, so what what would you want to do in farming? It would be urban farming, and I look at this as a nice supplement to the permaculture course we took. And at some point, my girlfriend and I want to get another place. We currently live in a condo, but we would like to get maybe a house with a little backyard or maybe half an acre or something like that, and then utilize the skills we have here to make it self-sustaining. And you guys definitely want to stay where you're at now? At least for the short term. Long term, we want to relocate in the south. Okay. So, but this would be like a good way for you to kind of start a business and get your feet wet and uh, make sure it's actually for you, right? Right. Yeah, I think, um, so I mean, would you guys want to be growing crops like I grow or would you want to do, I mean, I guess what, what kind of 
Have you have you checked out the market yet in your area as to what you could sell, where you could sell it? No, we haven't done that yet. Okay. There are farmers markets, and DC is a place where there are people that have money to spend. So if you're looking at salad greens, they would buy that. If they're looking at uh, heirloom vegetables or things like that, they would buy yeah. it. It's not it's not limited to the whatever people can afford. Okay. So I mean, so there's a market. There's people that have money. We're not sure what crops you'd want to do. Um, like, is, is this course for you more because you, you want to get educated? I mean, is it something that, that you think will help you get started or is it something that you think will help encompass, maybe take some things you learned in your PDC and, and add some dollar value to it? Um, yeah, both. Uh, okay. another, another thing about this is because it's a program for veterans. Yeah. You know, I'm already involved in the veterans community being a vet myself. Yeah. This would be an excellent Networking. opportunity purchasing into a, because they even said this in the literature that they want to get you involved yeah. in other businesses in the areas. And, okay. You know, it's not just you're trained and there you go. Yeah. So you know, you're, you're buying into a community. Um, pretty much like a networking group that is going to help give you some job skills or yeah. some, some, some skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it sounds really good, man. I, I, you know, it's interesting cause now knowing what I know, it's, it's weird. So I buying Curtis Stone's course, going to permaculture voices, doing Curtis Stone's paying for Curtis Stone's day workshop that I didn't even really go to. Like I went and I was like, yeah, I'm glad I supported Curtis, but I'm, I'm fucking burned out. I'm going to go drink mead with my buddies Grant Schultz and <laughs> Neil, Neil Spackman. I'm going to get yeah. out of here. It wasn't a total wash. No, I mean, it was a good networking thing. I sat in for a little bit. I pulled Curtis aside. I said, hey, man, I wanted to do this, but I'm, I'm, pretty, over, I'm pretty overdone here. Um, and I paid for the course, so that, that was fine. It, the workshop, all the workshop was already in the course. I had Curtis's book. Um, but then, you know, I, when I actually got started, it helped out a lot because it, 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 the course material for me, and I, I don't know, I've never done the program you're going to do, but the course material for me helped me. It, it had a lot of stuff already like, oh, you need to track your sales. You need to, you need to do this. Now it didn't help a lot with taxes. Um, it didn't help with having an accounting system. Mm-hmm. It did have, you know, what crops sell. It gave you a suggested amount of prices. It, it gave you a lot of advice on when to go talk to restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, you have video of watching Curtis, how he, how he does his crops, how he plants his microgreens. And he gave you, he told you how he sets a dollar amount to everything, what's the most profitable crop, all mm-hmm. that stuff right. in his system. But it's his system. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you feel that this is going to give you tools to build your own system and get get your own shit figured out, I think it's it's definitely worth it. Um, you know, I know. You know, I it, there's a weird, there's an interesting thing with paid workshops. I think people have different opinions. I think you know, I I do think that they're not all created equally, and um, you know, looking at it, it looks good on the outside for sure. Now how much of stuff is just being sold to you and how much of it is actually there. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be the biggest part, but I feel like, cause you get so much time. I mean, you, you're going there, you know, you're going there, what you're once a month, two days, you're going to go there 24 days. 
Yeah. And they're going to give you a bunch of probably resources and everything else like that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to plug you into a network. I think it's a good idea, man. I mean, if they can help you get land. Mm -hmm. Now, have you asked them? I mean, one thing that I would do is say, hey, you know, I'm looking. This is what I'm looking to get started in. Uh, How is this going to benefit me? I would ask them that. Yeah. And I I would just straight up ask them. And give them an opportunity to give you an answer. Because if it if they give you a bullshit answer, mm-hmm. then I would be pretty skeptical. But if they if they say you know urban farming we understand is a, is a, is a new up and coming thing, mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh it's it's challenging for to to be regulated because it's so new. Right. But it's also very lean. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a very lean business. It doesn't the expenses aren't as high. You don't have to get it as invested. You do have to do a lot of yeah. You know. Uh, so I think it's, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you, you definitely are going to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that I would want to say is that you should be asking yourself, is this something, Am I do I need this to actually get started? Um, yeah. and, that, and that's the one thing. I, I think if your plan is to get started farming and do this while you're in your first season, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the most ideal thing. But if you just plan on doing it and plan on farming later, I don't think that's I don't think it's going to be as helpful. Yeah, of course, that's that's what I was thinking too. It's um, it's for somebody that's serious in doing it. Now, when yeah. I look now when I looked at it, of course, my first impression is, at least at first face, this seems to be a pretty intensive and a pretty we will take you by the hand, moving through this. Yeah. Through this business process and the connection with the veterans is also a good thing because this is not the only outfit in the country that is trying to get vets involved in farming, whether it, or whether it's urban or traditional. Yeah. You know, acres I mean, and acres I, of land. I work with. Thing. I mean, my the guy that got me started, Joel. He's a vet. Like Joel. Yep. Joel has a Bronze Star. Mm-hmm. Rich is a veteran. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's. I think it's. Working with plants, putting your hands in the soil is incredibly therapeutic for most veterans. Yep. And, I, and I think it's, it's wonderful. I, I'm, I, I, I am excited about it for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's run by veterans, I think it's going to be a, a lot of, I, I don't want to make a, a, a judgment, but most veterans that I've come across that are trying to do things for, for veterans are doing it for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. Yeah. So just and, and if you know what I'm saying, like it's because yeah. again, like I, I know courses or I know there's a lot of people that do workshops and, and like I said, they're not all created equally. And I think a lot of times workshops and you can get stuff out of a workshop, but you're gonna go to that workshop and you're gonna find a lot of people in this room and that room that are just getting ready to get ready. They're yeah. trying. They're they're not necessarily looking for reasons as to why they can get started. They think they need more information. Mm-hmm. And the the main reason why I'm bringing this up is because I know that you are a very calculated guy since mm-hmm. you work in IT field, and um, it's easy I think for you to get stuck in your head. And I think it is for me too. Like yeah. I, I get caught up in analysis paralysis quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's the biggest thing, man. I want to make sure that if you do this that this would be something that you're doing um, while you're farming your first season. Right. And, you know, another thing I forgot to mention about this is I've been accepted into the program provisionally. Nice. And they're going to give you a kind of a try before you buy next month. So if you, if you go to one of these sessions 
And if you find out it's not for you, you don't have to pay the full deposit after. That's a that's a really good deal. So I I would say, no matter what, it's worth going to the first session. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a no brainer because, um, you know they they clearly believe in what they're doing. Yeah, I mean they're they're letting you come around. I know some farmers, they'll they'll say you can come on for their workshop, but you're not allowed to take pictures. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to take video, and it's like, man, like, well, it's too restrictive. Why not? Yeah, like what? That's that's kind of messed up. Like I, I think openness and farming is everything. Yeah, and I think that um, I think you know, for me, I mean, the first time I met you. I got off work and you wanted to see the farm. And I was like, well, I don't have a lot of shit going on, but I'll show you what I have going on. And I proudly show you what I had going on. Yeah. I had everything tarped because I was, I had burned out pretty hard right before then. And then we ended up talking and and had a good time. And then the next time you came, I was so excited to show you. I'm like, dude, I actually have stuff going on now. Oh yeah. And I was impressed with what you did yeah. in a short time. Yeah. And it was, and so I think it's, it's always a work in progress, man. I think that the thing with farming, the biggest thing, is learning to manage burnout. Yeah. And you have to know that if you start farming, you're going to burn out and at a lot of points you're going to fucking hate it. Right. And it's not it's not as romantic like it's it is romantic and it's <laughs> it's cool to tell people that you farm, but then it's yeah. it's it's not romantic at all. Right. All at the same time. And it, well, that's the case with any business, isn't it? Yeah. There for somebody that has never run their own business, they just like, "Man, you know, I wish I could do that, but once they get once they get their hands dirty, they're just like there's a reason why I didn't get involved in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's not for everybody. And I think the biggest thing that I would focus on, I mean, production systems are important. There's a lot of stuff. But the thing that is going to allow you to keep doing it is mm-hmm. having a good accounting system. Yeah. Make sure you pay yourself. Make sure you're, you're setting aside money for taxes. Make sure... Right. I, I'm a firm believer in Mike McCallitz's profit first system. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get him back on the show. I don't. He unfriended me on Facebook. Maybe I don't know if he did or not. But we're not Facebook friends anymore. Not that that's important. I mean, I'm, I say some pretty offensive things, and he probably is. <laughs> he's an author and needs to keep a certain kind of rep. Um, so I'm sure he'd still come on, maybe. But even if whether he likes me or not, his his profit first system is is really good. I'd strongly recommend you get the. I can send you the the Audible book for free if you don't already have an account of the revised edition of Profit First. But yeah, that accounting system has kept me profitable. Mm-hmm. It's kept me. I I mean the the biggest thing is is it's it it's it tells you you need to make more sales mm-hmm. or you need to find money somewhere else. If sales aren't coming, you know don't expand because there's no reason to expand. Right. Like you expand with growth. I mean, as the business and doing this method and, and basically the bottom line is my business runs on 30% of my revenue. Mm-hmm. And so if I have to put in my own money sometimes, then that is an owner's contribution, but it took me a while to, and that's what kind of helped me learn books too. So before I didn't mm-hmm. know how to keep books Yeah. and I thought I knew what I was doing with taxes, but I think for you, cause you have a good job, and let's say you and the girlfriend own this business together. You yeah. guys file an LLC. You own it together. It's mm-hmm. going to help you guys both on your taxes. Mm-hmm. That was me. Don't worry. I'll, I'll put it down here. Yeah, well, on that subject, I happen to know a guy who um, he he and I used to work at the one company together, and he yeah. ran his own business for many years. Yeah. So I definitely, he and I are good, are good friends now, and he... Um, you know, he's told me is that if I ever run my own business, I'm definitely getting you involved. And this guy is is quite knowledgeable with 
because I mean, running your own business, like he, like he said, whenever, whenever you talk to somebody and they say, I run my own business, one of the first questions he asks is, okay, so are you a, are you a business owner where you have a payroll yeah. or are you in effect a solopreneur where you're just renting yourself out? That's a fundamental question. Yeah. I'm kind of in between because I don't like to play by the rules and I have a, I have a contractor that trades me labor for housing and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so I would always avoid having a payroll personally. Like I think that uh, payroll taxes are, are bullshit personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that people, and because honestly, I think everybody should always be their own they should always be responsible for themselves and i think that if you're a contractor there's a lot of liberty in just doing contract work because Mm -hmm. you are responsible for your taxes and that means that you have expenses for your business because you're your own business and you just do contract work yeah so i i think that's i mean your your friend makes a good point i mean ultimately you know i want it would be nice for my business to grow big enough to where I could slowly remove myself mm-hmm. and then I have more time and I have more time to build other businesses yeah. and generate more streams of income. But I think, you know, whenever you get started, you, you have to be the guy that does everything or you and the girlfriend are going to be doing things together right? and you're going to figure out who's better at what and who's stronger here and who's stronger there. And then right. you're going to see because farming part-time, man, is is hard, especially if you have a full-time job. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing for you, too, if you decide to do it together, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be getting a, a good time management system. Yeah. Getting a good system into we know what this is. I would I would do a low-maintenance crop. I think for you now, if you're, if you, when is this first weekend? Sometime next month. I think you guys should get some microgreens started. Mm-hmm. And I think that microgreens are a great gateway drug into farming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and you can get started relatively inexpensively. Mm-hmm. Is inexpensively, I don't think that's a word. It is a word. It is. Okay. It, it, it's relatively inexpensive for you to get started. That yeah. sounds like a way better sentence. <laughs> So you just had a grammar lesson, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, I try to I try to police myself with grammar. I'm slowly trying to have better grammar. It's part of studying the trivium method and the seven liberal arts. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think for the two of you, you you would want to like I I am struggling with the time management system. Like I'm getting a lot better. But today I knew what time I was budgeting for us to hang out today, and that was something that I'm I'm proud of myself because I've been working hard at it. Yeah. Um, last year, this time last year, I was working hard to figure out an accounting system, mm-hmm. like really hard. Yeah. And, and I'm still in the, in that, that kind of overflows in with a budgeting system. So it's like, you know, I don't, I, I need to get better. Like I'm great with the business and keeping that separate, but it's like, I need to have my personal finances kind of the same. And I think sometimes it's easy for me because I make so little right now mm-hmm. and it's always a grab cash grab, I get money and it's immediately going out to pay bills. Right. So I don't have the luxury to, to kind of put my money through a system. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's the important thing because, uh, so I can't stress on that enough because it's also very easy to listen to, like the USDA is, is paying for grants for people to get micro loans. They're giving out grants for people to teach you how to get micro loans. Now mm-hmm. for me, it makes sense. I'm an established business. Uh, if I got a micro loan, I have cash flow systems to pay off that loan. It's low interest. 
Um, I talked to I talked to uh, the USDA loan officer, and originally I was really skeptical of it because I'm pretty anti-bank, I'm anti-loans, but I was like, you know what? It's super low interest money. I could pay off all my personal debt with it um, because I've used my personal credit cards for my business because my business doesn't have any credit yet. I could establish some credit for my business, which is great in case I ever wanted to sell it. Um, and and so there's like a lot of a lot of benefits to it. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people get started in this field and they want to get loans. I'm not saying you're the person, but just because we're walking through this scenario, I think for you is figure out the least expensive way to get started, which is nice with being an urban farmer. And then figure out if you like it and then go from there. And I would go to that course the first weekend. Um, when is the first weekend for this? I'd have to check the schedule. I think it's second second weekend of January. Second weekend of January? Yeah. So you would have enough time to at least get one crop that you could really mess up with microgreens. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you have this great resource that could really give you some great information on how to teach you microgreens. Right. Um, and so that is... Um, I mean, I think that's the most important thing. I think it's totally worth checking out, and that way you have enough information to make a judgment. But I think the most crucial thing right now for you is to just get started, and because um, then it's going to be more fun while you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, something else I forgot to mention too is that um, I can see some merit going through the course. You know, just like my girlfriend and I did with the permaculture is. Sure, the downside of it is if you do it, but you're not going to do it while you're taking the course, seems to defeat the purpose. On on the other hand, yeah, you go through it, and you know what I'd like to do is go through the list of everything that this this particular program is going to cover. Absolutely, is a lot more in depth the things that you think of, and so you might cover one of the things in the list, but not get to it right away. But you still have exposure to it, and then you can look at. Yeah. Uh, other resources, and if you buy, if you bought into that um, <clears throat> that network, you have people that are already involved. Not to mention the fact that learning about how the business works mm-hmm. means that maybe you could participate in somebody else's business for a time. You could, and if then you and to. then go off and branch out. I, I still think a small microgreens business run out of your house, uh, even if you don't have an LLC or anything, is is a great way to get started, though, because I think that. Even if you decide you fucking hate microgreens, at least you were doing it. And then even if, let's say, you get plugged in and you get started, you're like, yeah, I just start doing microgreens. Mm-hmm. Somebody might say, oh, you know what, I know, I don't sell them, but I know a restaurant that's looking for them. Or you could say, do you sell to restaurants? I was curious if you knew um, what restaurants might be interested in this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think because you're going to start networking as soon as you get started. Yeah. And it'd be nice to start having that course pay for itself as soon as you get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's like my biggest thought is like, because now everything for me is how can I make this pay for itself? Right. My friend, um, my friend's dad, my friend Pete, um, well, his name's Pete. He was like, a, uh, he's an entrepreneur. Um, he, he has his hands in a lot of places. He has his little hustles. He lives in Northwest Ohio. But one thing he told me was, yeah, I mean, so growing up or when I was raising, you know, my, my friend and his sister, he goes, I was always busy, you know, and I, but I always wanted like toys and I always like wanted to justify it. So he had like a helicopter's license and he's like, well, it's really irresponsible for me because I have two kids 
to buy a helicopter. Like, that's super irresponsible. But if I can buy a helicopter for a business and have it pay for itself, then I have this awesome, fun helicopter that I get to play in, but then I can make money with it, too. Kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, and I think so that I think whenever, like whenever you're you're putting money and you're investing money into a course or a form of education, you I think it's so important that you're failing miserably at growing microgreens while you're doing it. Yeah, you know I what I mean. Definitely agree or, with or, that. Or or doing well with it, and I think because you can, man, a little bit of pain for me goes a long way. Like I. I, I didn't feel enough pain until recently because I was like, man, you know what? I I really, I've been so focused on surviving that it's like, man, I really need to focus on getting paid. Like, I really need to set my game up. And you know what? Yeah, those big ambitions I had at the beginning of the summer, remember when I wrote those down? Okay. Yeah. Time to revisit those. Like, mm-hmm. let's start focusing on grocery stores again. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's, so I can't hammer that I, I can't hammer that in enough to even just get started growing something in the house that you think you could sell to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, I don't think you're going to have a lot of time to go to farmers markets. No. And so restaurants are going to be your best bet, and then you're going to have to figure out what days you you can take samples to restaurants, and you're going to have to pick at least one or two days a week and say, okay, I got from two to four to do this. I'm going to schedule it with work, so mm-hmm. I get two to four on this day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go to restaurants near my work. My girlfriend's going to go to restaurants near her work. We're going to have fresh sheets. We're going to have business cards. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to just start hitting the pavement. Yep. And then when they go to the sales chapter, and let's say you mess something up with a restaurant, you're like, God, that didn't go well. And then you sit there and somebody's telling you about sales, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should have done that instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just think that for for me, I could I could go through – Curtis Stone's course and I did the first time and I just perused it but I didn't hit complete because it's like okay I'm just taking in information but I'm not actually going to learn it until I do it and I think so even if you have on-site on-farm site training it's still not the same because it's not you it's not for you and you don't have enough skin in the game that's true you don't have enough skin in the game when when you talk about Curtis Stone I've seen his course but I never I've never done it and it serves a purpose yeah but and with this program, it takes it one step further is that just like, you know, with the permaculture courses that you're actually doing it, not as extensively in the permaculture courses as we would have liked to. Yeah. But at least you're there at a working farm <clears throat> and you're, you're put through your paces. So you actually find out and you're contributing to it instead of just reading a book or watching a video. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So can we shift gears and look at the list? Absolutely. Sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to keep beating you about no, starting no, no, no. A this th- microgreens thing. I just know yeah. you're my friend, and I know that you lean a lot towards analysis paralysis. Well, yeah. I, in my defense, I would say a lot of that is analysis paralysis, but it's also I tend to take a holistic picture of things. Oh, I know that. Because what your point earlier is that, you know, I've heard this from other people too. If you're going to start a business and say it's like a solopreneur type of business, you're not going to have a payroll. Do low capital investments. Try something, fail, fail quickly, mm-hmm. and it's not going to cost you a lot of money. Correct. Try something else, fail fast, it's not going to cost you and a lot of money. And you're giving yourself an awesome education. And you're just giving yourself an education. As it 
as it will unfold in the real world and you're actually doing it instead of doing an exercise in a workbook somewhere. But with yes. that, let's go ahead and look at the list. Okay, yes, so, so they cover many subjects and we can go through them one at a time. So it says, we will cover farm business law and taxes. It's good to know. Okay. Do you Is it any- going to cover it for your state? Uh, probably. Okay. It, it, it takes place in Virginia, so they might use that as a model. So you have any comments on that one? Those are good to know. I think before you get started in anything, I mean, you're going to want to know your laws. Uh, I didn't really look them up. I was like, Ohio has some pretty good cottage food laws, and it's an agriculture state. I'm just going to do it until somebody says I can't. Mm-hmm. But it's good to know. But I wouldn't – don't look at those laws as limitations. Right. That's that's the thing I would say. I, I mean – Sometimes it might be helpful to be an illegal, an illegal gardener. Like, look at Ron Finley; made him famous. Mm-hmm. What about the taxes part? Taxes is really important. I don't know enough about farming taxes personally. I know that it's a you get it's a good tax advantage for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, tax write-offs and all that. Good tax write-offs. You, your your assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can devalue quickly, um, and especially like. And what's an asset? Well, if you start a microgreen business, you're going to need to get a, sh- a shelving unit, some lights, mm-hmm. and some trays. Yeah. And those trays, those lights, and that shelving unit and is all an asset for you. Mm-hmm. So you write the cost of it, and then every year you can write off how much it's devalued. Man, I wonder if I wonder if my girlfriend's parents, since they own the farm in North Carolina, if they do that because she's got a setup. Yeah. She has a she has a microgreen setup with the lights and the trays and all that. Yeah. I don't know if she writes it off because, well, they don't sell to anything. They just, it's sort of a hobby farm at this point. Do they have a business? No. They still, uh, she still works. She's a professor, but her husband is retired and he, mm. you know, he's got thousands and thousands of dollars socked away in his, his retirement. So it's not yeah. like he's going to be starving anytime soon. Well, sometimes it's just good to get tax advantages. It's not yeah. about, uh, it's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. That's right. Definitely. Okay, next on the list, botany basics. I it's think good to know. It's def- really good to know. I think people have it. I, I thankfully always had the approach that this plant wants to live. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to do whatever I can to make that plant be as strong as it can be. And what that means is less involvement from me, the better. Mm-hmm. I think people kill a lot of plants because they think the plants need them. Mm-hmm. Plants don't need you. They don't care about you. No. Now, you do want to water them. Of course. <laughs> but don't overwater. <laughs> don't overwater. Don't talk to them too much. No, you can talk to them. I talk to my plants. But they might tune you out. Oh, they don't. I mean, they don't listen, but I say really nice things to them. Yeah. You sing to them too? No, not yet. I play music okay. while I'm in there harvesting, but usually they're they're gone by the time I get done with music. Okay. You might take them in the shower with you as you sing. <laughs> it's They would be very good to sell if I did that. No, it wouldn't. It'd be fun to talk about that. It would. All right, next on the list, soil science. Soil science is good to know. I think a lot of people focus too much on soil science, but it's like it's a cool botany and soil science is like a cool thing to know and learn about because it's uh it's just kind of cool. Um mm-hmm. and the way I, I man, you know it gets kind of deep and this is how the soil science works for me. So um obviously there's just basic stuff. You need carbon, nitrogen and some other shit and the more you put into your soil, the more, I mean, so if you look at it like this, 
you're farming soil in reality. I mean, farming, you're not actually selling soil, but you are honestly, the, the vegetables are a byproduct of you taking care of your soil. Like, right? Like, we're here, we both want to be regenerative. Like, I'm adding to my land, and because I'm adding to my land and I'm trying to create a nice ecosystem, I want there to be worms, I want there to be bugs. I have good soil, and I have good soil because I put down mushroom compost. I've, I did truckloads of horse manure. You're implementing permaculture, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you could you could say that. I think it's mainly that I'm going to take something from the land, so I need to make sure that I'm putting in more than I'm taking. Mm-hmm. And so another way to look at it is, yeah, I won't get too deep. I was going to get on this whole subconscious mind thing. You want me to do that? If you want. I mean, if you're down. So, okay. Sure, yeah. So a long time ago, I was doing network marketing, and this guy, Robert Louis Dean Jr., uh, he was like, a guy kind of like Donald Trump in the sense that like he didn't care if he sounded ignorant. And actually I think he intentionally did it because it was disarming. And he would say like silly things. He was a very rotund African-American gentleman, but he was like the top earner in this network marketing company. And he knew some shit. Like he was good at networking. He was good at with a lot of stuff. And, um, the secret had just like come out, I think like a year or two before. So everyone was big on like the law of attraction. And, and then everyone thought that if you just feel good all the time, great things are going to happen to you. And it, it doesn't quite work like that, man. I mean, it's, there's more of a process. And I think like, especially in psychology. So if you just look at basic psychological stuff, man. Um, so your subconscious mind is just like soil, right? So the, the better things you feed it, the better your life gets. If you're telling yourself you're a piece of shit all the time, you're going to end up being a piece of shit. Or like, I mean, that's why affirmations are important. Positive self-image. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's like I like to say that I'm like a, an optimistic, uh, I'm a negative optimist because like I'm a kind of a troll and I say and I see how fucked up things are. But it's like, you know, none of it really matters because it's out of my control. What really matters is what's going on in here. So let's take this one step further. So if, if our subconscious mind is like dirt, then, you know, to feed your subconscious mind, you have to eat good food, right? So if you want to eat the best food, what do you need to do? Well, you need to feed your soil. And the, so the healthier plants you have, the better you're going to be because you have better food. So that's the holistic approach that I take. Um, so when I, I, I'm not certified organic. I'm never going to be certified organic. It's a waste of money. Why? Um, it's a waste of money because most people now are getting hip to the fact that you can still spray chemicals on certified organic crops. I mean, a lot of the certified organic grapes, yeah, I heard about that. they're finding pesticides that aren't necessarily approved, but because they weren't sprayed directly on the soil of the plant, they were sprayed in between in the aisleways. It's okay. And I, I don't till, I'm a no-till farmer, mm-hmm. um, I don't use chemicals and everything soil grown. That's mm-hmm. what I tell people. Because uh, if I said organic, what does that really mean anymore? Like it's a marketing word that's been coerced. It, it's a label you slap on something. Correct. But what does it mean? Correct. And so, but I am local. You can come see my farm. I'm an urban farmer. I'm no-till. I, I'm chemical free and I'm soil grown. So that tells you enough of what you need to know. I don't use chemicals on my food. Oh, are my seeds or am I organic? Well, I use organic seeds and my soil's organic. So that stuff I can say because that stuff is certified organic, but I can't say that the crop's certified organic because 
my business has not been certified organic. So uh, the magic spell hasn't taken place after I pay $1,000 or $3,500, whatever it costs now. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to get the food police involved personally. Um, so I, I don't know how this all came from soil science, but I think soil science is important because I think in the end of the day, uh, you are, you are farming to get connected back with nature mm-hmm. and, and that's, and it's ultimately, um, a way, and actually, man, it's a political act. I mean, to me, it's a political act, just like Cody R. Wilson's making 3d printed guns that's his politics like farming is my politics man if you think about it i mean those are my values i'm living my values that's my politics is is me farming and me podcasting does that make sense it makes perfect sense yeah so i think because this is becoming your politics that's why soil science is important. I I, I'm I'm going to sign up to be a political activist <laughs> by far <laughs> of a sort. Yeah. Of a sort, yeah, because you want to you want to take your own food into your own hands, and then you want it to pay for itself. Yeah, and it ties into establishing a home set. You know, like I've told my girlfriend more than once, is that sure we can go to a new place, but when I think back to where I grew up in Northeast Ohio, is we had a nice house with a sizable backyard that you could have easily grown flowers or vegetables but my yeah. parents never did it no nope. instead you had a lawnmower and yep. you cut grass and i thought to myself of all the of all the years that my dad cut the grass and it's like you know you could have really saved yourself that trouble if you had a garden well some people just like to use it as an escape i think they do yeah but that's why farming and gardening is so much cooler because it's a lot more rewarding escape yeah you get to see something grow except the grass yeah what was interesting is um i forget who or where i was I, i'd reconnected with someone and when i told them that i didn't have grass it was like well you know i, I got neighbors and it's like what, what the fuck does that matter like this is your house or like this my one friend's buddy always tells me he wants me to grow him hops i'm like no grow your own damn hops you have a taller house than me you run it off the side of your house well that doesn't that doesn't look good well i guess you don't want hops that bad but was he going to compensate you for you to grow hops? yeah he's 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 kind of a troll too that's why we get along he's like i'll give you ten dollars i'm like yeah sorry man ten dollars isn't a good enough compensation for a cop crop that takes three years that's right you're not compensating me for my time and my labor no or my water or my land mm-hmm. that's not fair to my land nope so um so, yeah, I think, did I answer your question there? Did we answer about the list? Yeah, you did. Okay. So, moving right along, next subject is cover cropping. Cover cropping's good. Um, if you have a large scale, uh, I have a difference of opinion on cover crops. I think cover crops are, are great in a lot of regards. Um, they do add to the soil depending on the cover crops, but if you are doing a lot of land, you want to have a cover crop. Um, not so much for urban farming. No, you can just get a tarp, cover that motherfucker up, and that's it. You guys have leaves that fall? No, you don't have any leaves that fall. No, we we live in a condo. We don't have any. Well, land. I mean, so you're not even gonna have a yard to farm on, right? No. Yeah, so you don't need to cover crop microgreens if that's what you're doing. But let's say you do have some land. Mm-hmm. You're just doing a lot. You have leaves that fall. I'm assuming you can go collect leaves. This is what yeah. you do: you take those leaves, you dump them all over your beds. Mm-hmm. You take a hose, you wet them down, you cover them with a tarp. You come back later, and you have this rich-looking dirt from dead leaves. Not to mention composting. That's right. The worms are going to come up, and they're going to eat that, and then mm-hmm. they're going to come down. And they're going to shit everywhere, and mm-hmm. you're going to have some delicious soil for your for your plants to 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 grow in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Uh, next, crop planning. 
crop planning's important. Now, as an urban farmer, you need to be dynamic. That was something Curtis Stone really got in my head. And that's what helped me a lot. So this is my crop planning. I'm going to sell lots of lettuce to my buddy's two restaurants. I talked to him at the end of the season. I reconnected with him and said, yeah, we're still on. He goes, yeah. Season starts. I got lettuce. I go to him and he said, uh, can you drop the price? And I go, no. Why didn't you need me to drop the price, man? And he's like, well, be honest with you, Drew. This stuff is, I get this much X amount. I want to get paid too. And I'm like, that is 100% fair. Um, but this is the kind of lettuce I have. He said, that's perfect for sandwich leaf lettuce. That stuff's really expensive now. I'll take, you know, 12 pounds. Can you do it like this? And so originally he wanted 40 pounds a week. And then we went down to 12 pounds and then 12 pounds went in none. And him and I were still cool because I had an understanding that, you know what, dude, you have a business to run to. And if you can't support me anymore, it's okay. Cause guess what? You supported me my first year, man. And help me get this kick started and you didn't have to do that. And I know you appreciate it. You got something out of it too, but it was time to move on. So now I had all this lettuce. I wasn't in any farmer's markets cause I thought I had all that lettuce sold, but mm -hmm. I didn't anymore. So then I had to go find farmer's markets, but I still wanted some income from restaurants, but I had this demand from mm -hmm. a nicer restaurant than my buddies. Not that he has a bad establishment. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a great restaurant, but it was like the, the upper echelon levels of restaurants wanted microgreens so i just started supplying them microgreens that was my new one restaurant customer so i bring a pound of pea shoots a week that pound of pea shoots turned into hey can i get a pound of pea shoots and a pound of microgreens because to the chef microgreens is like the spicy mix which is just like yeah was just radish at the time so then um i keep helping her and then she likes me so much she said you know what you need to go talk to this restaurant and talk to the chefs there. I messaged them and I told them you're on their way. And I said, okay, tell them that I'll meet them at 1 p.m. on Monday. And she goes, great. Or I'm sorry, 2 p.m. Monday. Because typically between 2 and 4 is when you want to go see restaurants. So I told them that I'd be there. And I showed up with some samples. She liked them. And she said, hey, I'm just a sous chef. I can't make a decision. The main chef is going to be back here next week can you come back here the same exact time next week and i said of course i can so then i go up there and i see the guy's name tag on his shirt and i'm like that's the chef and so before i even get in the restaurant he was coming outside to smoke a cigarette and i'm like hey are you such and such right he goes yeah i'm like hey i'm the farmer that dropped off the samples last week here's some more samples he goes great and he's looking at it he's like yeah this stuff's great can you bring me a pound this week later on this week i go yeah well what what time he goes well actually we're closed on Sundays. Can you can you bring it by Monday, next Monday? I said, yep, I'll see you then. So then I started selling him microgreens because he liked my price. And then he started ordering more stuff too. And then he said, you know what? I was trained by this this chef. He's actually French. He's from, he trained a lot of chefs in the area. He's at this restaurant over there. You should just stop in there and bring stuff and I bet you he'll buy it. So then uh, I didn't quite have my, my growing stuff done. I had my, I had my, um, I had, I had a place to sell my lettuce now, but this was after I probably composted $800 worth, which was very painful to do. <laughs> but I had, to, I had to change. And so then I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in all this, this, this side, not all this, but I'm, I'm starting into microgreens. I'm figuring out what packaging I like. 
I'm growing it before I was selling it to my other friends at a discounted rate who are also farmers. And then I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm not doing that. Like, I can't work for free. Like, that's not fair. And also, I can't rely on them. Like, we're here to work together. And I'm the sales guy. He's the farmer. Why am I putting all this pressure on him? It was my buddy Joel. Well, if I can interject just for a yeah. minute. Going back to your earlier point, what, what you were, you know, this is this was also going to be part about what we discussed in this podcast today is um, what you're describing is is an interesting point about as somebody who's an urban farmer who is focusing primarily on microgreens and things yeah. like that, selling to local restaurants. Yeah. You learned, but I'm not sure if you have a system, and maybe you can expound on this, of what do you do in the case of slack demand or you have to pivot on a dime for demand and you don't have elastic demand? I mean, like you you said you yeah. had how many pounds that you had to compost? Uh, so I get about $10 a pound at the farmer's market for lettuce. Right. So it's about 70 pounds. 70 pounds. My grandma just died. I had nowhere to sell it mm-hmm. and needed harvested. Right. So I harvested it all. I put in my buddy's cooler. He had his own lettuce. He didn't have any need for it. I sold 12 pounds of it to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had gotten too big, so the, it, the quality wasn't as good as my normal quality. Mm-hmm. So then they stopped ordering from me. So then, knowing that, is there a way that you can anticipate demand, if possible? So that's a great question. And yeah, you can with time. So what you do is you keep records of your sales weekly and then you go back and you enter it into, exp- I have not done this. I need to do this in the off season. I have sheets this big, but I can track my sales into QuickBooks because a lot of the times when I sell to restaurants, I can see when my sales were this and I just need to get better at using QuickBooks. Um, Greg Burns said he can show me sometime because he has his own business. And uh, he said, yeah, there's plenty of reports you can run. And if you have all your stuff itemized, you can see what's making you the most money. And because you might have a feeling of what is, but then until you actually put it into a system, you don't know. So, yeah. So then once you have that, you can run reports and then you'll have reports of what were my sales this month. Mm -hmm. And then so before that month, you're looking at your crops, you're planning, you're like, okay, so I should expect a rise here because at this time last year, we had a big sales day at the farmer's market or we sold out at 11 and the farmer's market went out till noon. Mm-hmm. So, so you had a good day that day. Yeah. I mean, certain, certain days I'd sell out and I'd sell out early and, and it, I felt like a, a champion. And then other days it'd be like, dude, this is just slow. Why is it so slow? And I don't know. No, it could that's be just the way the market goes. Could be a lot of different things. Like today it's here in Columbus, it's freezing cold. Yeah. So people are not going to be out and about unless they're in a warm place. Yeah, and sometimes it's just too sunny out. Or mm-hmm. sometimes it's raining. Yeah. So you don't you don't know. It's, you, it's, you can't control that. No, it's, it's not a variable I can control. Mm-hmm. But all I know is that I can do my best to hustle every customer that walks by my, my table and say, hey, have you ever tried microgreens? You know what microgreens are? And yeah. give a quick sales pitch and then win them over. Right. Also on the subject of... Um, because this has also popped into my mind, is that, yes, we've already, we've already covered about how best can you anticipate demand. You do that over time. Mm. But what would you do in the event of, okay, so you, you anticipated that you were going to go to this farmer's market on Saturday, and you mm-hmm. maybe expected that you were going to sell Tim. Tim. 10 pounds of microgreens. Okay, that didn't Micro- work. Microphone. It went out. Oh, no, no, no. You just have to put it, point it at your mouth. Yeah, so <laughs> it's... Um, so you, you go to this farmer's market. Right. Well, let me, well, let me finish my thought. You're anticipating, so let's ex- you expect to sell 10 pounds of microgreens. Yeah. But you wind up selling five. Yeah. So the remainder that I'm thinking, okay, so if I 
if I'm planting, and maybe I would expect maybe the worst is that I'm not going to sell as much. I could use that for compost or maybe for my own consumption or give it away or things like that. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you factor that in? And do you do that in such a way as to maybe like, for like a virtual smooth out demand and smooth your, um, your production? You understand what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's a tricky thing that we're still trying to figure out. I think we almost had it figured out for the outdoor grow. Mm-hmm. Now that we're indoors, I mean, it's like this week. Uh, it's a good example. The farmer's market didn't happen. But mm-hmm. the winter the winter farmer's market, I'd actually be there right now. Uh, it's not as good. It's, uh, you know, it's in a brewery. It's super cool, but it's the first year, so the demand just isn't there. Um, I'll make, you know, 40 bucks on a, on a normal farmer's market. I'm, I typically don't make less than $200 and I bring about $200 worth of stuff because the demand at, for what I have at those markets is about $200 worth. Okay. Um, now I'm going to hopefully be getting into, well, I'm going to be getting into a bigger market. I'm pretty positive. I need to send an email. I'll probably do that tomorrow. Um, and that one is one of the bigger markets. There's a lot more traffic. So that one I'm hoping to get about a thousand bucks. Um, but it all depends on, you know, what your market is. Um, but you gotta start somewhere. And that's it. So but to answer your question, this week I got a random text from a chef and I need about a week's notice if they think they're gonna need more because it takes about a week to grow. And thankfully there's no farmers market I could and I sold out of everything this week to restaurants, which was great because this it was probably my biggest week ever. And usually I have extra and I grow enough extra for me to eat and then also to give out samples to get more businesses. Yeah, that was another question I had is the the marketing aspect. So you you were talking about your your um, experiences with the chefs. You talked yeah. to the sous chef who said come back next week and talk to the main yep. chef. So obviously, and a I'm lot, a lot of consistent. That was what I was trying to say. It's like a, I, if somebody asks me to do something, I say yes, and I show up, especially if it's the first time. Yeah, consistency. I'm dealing with them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that factor factors in what what you're getting, what's driving a lot of your business is word of mouth. Yeah, I think um, my most stable income from restaurants has been warm market stuff. I mean, it was pretty much being consistent. Being friendly, I mean, I, I'm friends with the chefs. I've gone out and had some drinks with a couple of them. I ask them personable questions. I, I'm nice. I'm pleasant to be around. I smile at everyone in the restaurants. You know what I mean? Like, And then the time you're establishing relationships. Yeah, because if, if I'm coming in here, who's going to want to do business if this fucking asshole comes in all the time and he's grumpy and he hates his life? Like, Nobody wants to be around that person. That doesn't make people feel okay. And in sales and in, in, in general, it's just about making people feel okay, man. That's oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Influencing persuasion. That's right. Yeah. So do you, do you think you would ever do, if you haven't done this already, like social media marketing and how effective would that be? I think possibly in the future. But um, I know a lot of friends that make money with social media marketing, but I feel like farming and a consumable product, I think that's a tough game. I mean, certain people do it, but I, I don't. Uh, I'll take pictures on Instagram and say where I'm at and advertise the farmer's market. But um, all, the, all the social media marketing I've tried to do just even locally it's been a challenge. Like I think eventually, when I when I am eventually, if I decide to go down this route of doing home deliveries, like getting meat and trying to create like an aggregator, um, 
I think that'd be cool, but I I don't know if I want that work. Like that's a lot of work. That's a lot more. It sounds cool, and it sounds like it, you could make money with it. But I think I'd rather do less work, make a little bit of less money, but do a lot less work and have a lot more time. So I'd rather just personally sell to a grocery store. Could you ever do spin farming like Curtis Stone does? I could. I mean, I'm I'm essentially doing that now, but just on a smaller scale. Um, I didn't have a need to get more land. So I had a plot before and I didn't have a demand for lettuce anymore. So there was no point in me growing at that crop. And she had a bunch of um, thistle on the property. And so we tarped it down and we basically wiped out all the thistle. And by the time the thistle was all gone, she said, well, yeah, I just had a different idea of what was going on there. And I said, yeah, that's understandable. I mean, you had a bunch of thistles, so it takes time. I got crops ready to put there and I was going to run some irrigation, but honestly, like, I don't even know if I have the demand for that. So we kind of parted ways and I went there and I got my stuff and, um, you know, it was funny was, you know, it just, we both had different ideas and, and she was like nervous to tell me that. And I was relieved because it was like, man, I really can't handle that. Like I'm not handling my land yet. Like we have a lot more space that, you know, thankfully rich has, built all these raised beds around the property out of pallet wood so we have a way of getting another use out of the microgreen soil because that's the one thing is dealing with the waste from the microgreens. Yeah, for sure. On the subject of spin farming, would you would you ever do it in the sense of gaining more experience to maybe at some day be, you know, being somewhat facetious here like the garden whisperer where somebody could call you and say, hey, Drew, I want to do what you do, but... I like the experience and you need a little bit of help and then you could rent yourself out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds fun, but no. I, w- I don't think I'd ever want to do that. I think... Um, you got your hands full as it is? Yeah. I think that, you know... Interestingly enough, man, I think like Curtis... Curtis's is, is market's different. I think I could sell similar things that he does and I think I could manage all the properties that he does, but I don't have the same demand for lettuce that I did it uh, a year ago because of we have a lot of hydroponic operations. And so Curtis grows a lot of greens and a lot of his stuff selling to grocery stores. Now, if I start selling to grocery stores and I'm moving a majority of my lettuce to the, through the grocery stores, I get my washing and drying station set up. Um, I'm getting stuff packaged. I'm getting stuff with nice labels. Yeah. And I'm moving that way and I have a demand to expand then yeah, I think it'd be great to spin farm more properties on my street. Um, maybe I could figure out a way to get my next door neighbor's yard. The homeowner's cool. The renter was not at the time because she has young, she has boys, and uh, she would she had hoped that they would go outside and and run outside. But now they don't really go out. Now it's just dogs that are always outside and bark at me. Are rich, so <sighs> yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think so, man. I don't I don't see myself I think I have a sexier story of just making more money on my land. And I did pretty well this year. I think my business did $13,000 and that was me doing 6 months and um I'm on a 15th of an acre. And I think that's powerful. Like Curtis's story is he makes X amount of dollars on you know, you know, a four, a third of an acre, right? Yeah. So, but that is, 
it, it is a lot of work. And Curtis has a lot of demand. He has a lot of work. He's got a lot more experience. He's been doing this for eight years. Like, I don't want to never say never. Like, this is my real first year. Um, last year, I kind of, the year before, I kind of half-assed it because I was doing it full-time. But and, I, and honestly, dude, I was doing too much. And I wasn't even doing that much. And it was like I should have just focused on microgreens. Yeah. And tried to sell microgreens. Go to the farmer's market and sell microgreens. But... Yeah you get caught up in the sexiness of all these crops and like, oh, I want to grow this, I want to grow that, I want to grow this. Right. And that's all fine and well, but if you can't sell it, then you're just throwing a bunch away in a compost pit, which is what I did. Yeah, and the purpose of asking these questions, Drew, is, is you know, to get your take on things, but also for somebody like my benefit. Is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you start very small, you start with the microgreens, but as your as your circumstances change... Then your plan you know what, changes. Yeah, your plan changes, you want to try this out, and as you were saying, is that Curtis was doing it for eight years on a third of an, third of an acre. Yeah. That's how he does it, whereas it, you're doing it on a fraction of that. Yeah, and Curtis and, originally went to a bigger farm, and, and honestly, he had a lot of stuff he, he had expanded, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but he was at one point, I think, at like two acres... And he still had his urban stuff, and he had more employees. And then he was just like, man, I'm making more, but I'm spending a lot more. And then he was like, my sweet spot for this style of farming is this is about a third to a half an acre. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, that's fine. I that's just fine. wanted to point that out. Too. You just, um, you, you, try and you try things, and you see what your sweet spot is. That's, that's if you, right. If you can do it on less than an acre, or a 15th of an acre, which you have, why not? Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact... Because my girlfriend and I have full-time jobs, and if we're going to do this as a hobby slash getting ourselves on the path where 10 years from now we're really maybe doing something else and then we could do that full-time, we know what our sweet spot is. That's right. And as we, as we scale back on our full-time jobs, or if we want to go half-time and go a little bit more on the farming, we know that we can, this is your baseline, your sweet spot, and then you can expand from that to what your limitations are. That's 100% right, man. I think, you know, Chris Throw, um, he does microgreens. He's in British Columbia. He does a different style of microgreens than I do. Like, we'll do similar crops, but his his stuff's a lot bigger, and my chefs hate that. They don't like that. They don't like stuff that's big. They want it small, and they want it looking nice, so it's less work for them with garnish. And I'm like, yeah, why do I want to sell something for you that just creates work? Like, I don't want to do that. I want you to have the product you want and I want to give you convenience. And I think that's the thing is like I come from this from a, a, a very different perspective than most farmers. Well, also the market dictates your efforts. Yeah, absolutely. You're not, you know, I having never farmed myself, and this would be the first time getting into it, even when I was younger, I always thought to myself, man, you know, if you got, if you got hundreds of acres, yeah, the amount of time and effort, even with farmhands, to get that shit done, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and I don't know how people did it years ago. I really don't. They were constantly working. You know, but you know, you always hear the stories about you're getting up at three thirty to milk the cows, and then you're working until sun goes down, and then you're exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, it's just it's just exhausting, backbreaking work. Yeah, and I don't want that. I don't want it either. No, I think... I'm that, glad that I live in the city and I would want to participate it, in an urban farming operation. Yeah, I think um, that's that's what I, I kind of mean. Like, I don't see value in just doing work for work. Like, I'm, I'm working to live. But I want to live. And I do like hard work. I think it's good for me. Like, it, it keeps me honest. It keeps me... 
and I know there's a lot of jokes about like I I play them off like oh I'm lazy and all this stuff and I kind of am but there's a reason why like I don't want to work like I don't want to be some East Coast guy that just works just because he thinks that's what you do and that's what makes you a man and all that shit like that's stupid like, yeah. I want to experience life I like art mm-hmm. I like movies I love music. I want to have a wife. I want to. I want to raise a family, and I want to make sure that I'm there and I'm present. Yep. If you're constantly working, you don't have any time for that. That's right. I mean, I don't want to be a good provider. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband. Mm-hmm. All um, this is a lifestyle design. Correct. Correct. And so this is your lifestyle to design. And you know, at one point in time, I didn't like waking up early. Like when I first started the business, and it was pissing me off because everyone was telling me, "Oh, I get up early, and I you should get up early." And it's like, well, I get up early if I have to harvest. Um, but a lot of people don't even harvest early and it's like a goofy thing. Like that's the best time to harvest, especially yeah. greens. Whoever said that you had to get up at the crack of dawn. You don't have to. Now I did start doing it because it was better for the product and it was better for the business and it would be like, it, it was better for my product. So I'd wake up early, I'd harvest stuff, I'd drive it over. If I couldn't deliver it right then and there, I'd go take it to my cooler, which at the time was still 20 minutes away, finally at my house. And then I come back and uh, I drink some coffee, maybe go back, take a nap. Um, you know, but I didn't like, there was a lot of times, there's a lot of times in this season where I had to, to and thankfully, and this guy I got to hang out with too, he's a patron as well. And um, a listener, Eric Gillian, or Gilliam, um, he does stuff part-time and he was telling me like, uh, you know, uh, dude, just make sure you enjoy it. Like make sure you're enjoying the process. And that was so helpful for me because at the time I was starting to get stressed out, you know, and a lot of it too, like my grandma just died. I was getting used to dealing with Rich and having him around and letting somebody else in my space. And, uh, and it was just, you know, I was trying to pay the bills. Unemployment ran out. I was really lazy when I had unemployment because I, I wasn't really allowed to work. Yeah. And I wanted, and I, I thought I was owed that money from how much I, you know, taxes I paid and everything. Yeah. So well, it sounded like also in that uh, when you got laid off, you just needed some time to decompress. Yeah, I needed to figure out how I wanted my life to look like, and I'm still figuring that out. I mean, like I was telling you, like I'm gonna go do this um, emotional intelligence EQ training in a couple of weeks, like in, a, in like an expanded viewpoint, and I really enjoy it because it's it's keeping me plugged in and it's helping me get back to designing my life. And it was like you know I did that thing with Javin. Mm-hmm. the year before and so jab and i went over it and that kind of like i'd gotten to this point to where i was doing better and then i i had some good habits and then i got out of them i started going to florida a lot though and i, I spent a lot of time with my dad it was yeah. great and then mm-hmm. you know what else i did i spent a lot of time with my best friend that lives down there or mm-hmm. i went up and i spent a lot of time with my grandfather or i spent a lot of time beforehand with my grandmother that had passed away mm-hmm. beforehand so I wanted to enjoy my time and I wanted to get a taste of how my life could be, what I wanted it to be. And I think, you know, a lot of times when you work a job and you're used to having to be somewhere and then you do get laid off, you, instead of like taking a second to just say, maybe this is what I needed right now, can I afford to take some time off and just figure out what is going to work for me? And thankfully, I'd put myself in a position to be able to do that. Yeah. You um, you kind of put yourself in a fuck you position. Yeah, that's what I wanted. It's not the supreme fuck you position. No. But it's it's enough where it's like, oh my gosh, uh, 
the world is not coming to an end unless I get a job in the next week. No, and honestly, like, I I saw I I went out last week and I hung out with who was one of my one of my best friends I used to work with. He turned forty, and I hung out with my buddy Tidwell. He's a he's an artist. I got to get him on the show. And then I I saw some other friends there too, and they're just talking about work and. It's like they're still in this recovery thing because we were making so much money. And like I said on the last show with, that I did with you, like, dude, I didn't. <laughs> we didn't we, I, I wouldn't have paid somebody as much money that I was getting paid to do my job. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah, but it, <laughs> like it sounds crazy. I know. But like in the case of my job, you yeah. know, I'm I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. But within two years, because I used to work for the federal government, yeah. I doubled my salary. That's awesome. And I'm really working less and enjoying my job more. That's good. And I think to myself, should I be paying, should I get paid this much? But I also remember you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. No. No, I didn't at the time. I wasn't saying, hey, Time Warner, stop paying me so much money. I was like, you're going to give me this money if I do this? Oh, it's on. I'm going to do that. And I can work just two hours a day while I'm sitting on my ass for the rest of the time thinking of what I'm going to do or not. Sign me up. Sign me up, man. If I can get everything done... And that is worth that to you, or that's what that's what the market says you should pay me for that. Then pay me for it. Like, I'm okay with that, but I'm more so talking about like when you're in sales, like we were in telecommunications, especially that field. You know, man, it's it's always what have you done for me lately in sales in general, but especially telecommunications is super cutthroat. And you know, first we were at Verizon, all of our salaries got cut, so we all left and. Went to Time Warner, and then we were there making a lot of money. And I said to a lot of guys, guys, I think we got two years at this. I mean, the cable industry is changing quite a bit, and we ended up getting three years out of it. And then we all got laid off, and and then I see my friends, and they're like, "Man, Drew, you look great. You lost weight. You look happier. You look more confident. Man, you your hair looks better. Like, what what's going on?" I'm like, "Dude, I just you know I just got laid off." <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't, well, and it was like a year. It was a little it's over a year. It's the job loss, weight loss program. Sign up. Yeah, and it, it's like, you know, I, I have a lot less stress in my life. And I said, you know, I don't make as much money, but I own my time. Yeah. And that's what's more important to me is owning my time. Like, you know, I have a good setup with, um, you know, working working with Luke Luke Edwards, who I just had on the show yesterday. Um, you know, man, I just tell him when I can work and he schedules me. And then I can go in there and make some extra cash. There's no pressure. He respects me. I respect him. When I show up there, he's paying me a wage. So if I'm getting a wage and I'm and I'm understanding that, you know, I'm getting a wage, then I'm going to work because you're paying me to work. I'm there to work. Sometimes I think that's more fair if you work for a wage because you know what your time's worth. Yeah, man. And 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 at that time like it is, you know, I get about 25 bucks an hour there with with tips and everything. And it's worth it, man. It's like and it's fun, you know, like I can I can go there and get out of the house for a bit. I listen to books while I'm making some money and and I'm trying to get on Amazon Flex but I can't get any um I can't get any orders. But it it's like a way so okay, I already like to read books and listen to books and usually when I'm farming now I like to listen to music um when I'm harvesting and stuff like that. So when I'm driving, you know, I mix in between books and that. So I might as well get paid while I educate myself. Yeah. So I'm going to do something that I like to do already and normally I do it for free. So yeah. um you could even look into security guard. I wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like that? No, I like I like getting tips. I like I like the aspect of commission. I like getting tips. I like the fact that the harder I work, the more money I can make. So the more deliveries I do, the more money I make. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Back to the list. List. 
I like these tangents though because they're covering some of the, the other stuff that I wanted to talk about. <clears throat> I like when we have a list and we go down it. Like the yeah. last episode went great. I haven't I haven't posted it quite. It was yet, more free form though. It was more free form, but it was me talking about my Rust Belt experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next item on the list: crop rotation. Crop rotation is important um, depending on your crop. Um, obviously, every microgreens is a crop rotation. You have brand new soil, brand new seed. I mean, it's not. It's that's it, not. It's not. It's not rocket soil science. No. So with my here is the thing with crop rotation. A lot of crop rotation is is great for large agro businesses. Um, there are some aspects of crop rotation that uh, people people talk about um like every time you do a crop you should spin it and you know curtis even says you know i try to every time if i'm going to do arugula then the next time i'm going to do uh lettuce now because i use landscape fabric for my lettuce um to keep the weed pressure down so i don't have to work as hard i want to do if i'm going to do an arugula or i'm going to do a mustard or i'm going to do a radish i would not turn around and do a radish than arugula mainly because I'm going to have more weed pressure and I'd rather have less weed pressure with the fabric. Now I will double do cause I can get, I, I actually only planted two rounds of lettuce this year. So I, um, I, cr I did rotate one bed, but in between man, I added a bunch of compost. I broad forked my soil again. Um, and added a bunch more nutrients. So a lot of that issue is for heavy feeders. And if you're really hard on your land and you're tilling a lot, you're going to want to rotate. But I think if you're doing a no-till system and you're using low feeders only, um, you wouldn't want to do that. Now, I wouldn't say, okay, plant squash. Okay, plant squash again there. No, you don't You don't want to do that. But a, a lower feeding... No, but as you said, the fact that you don't till it yeah, makes I, a big I, difference. I don't till it. I, I do fork it out every time I, I rotate a bed or I turn over a bed and I add... I add compost or I'll add nutrients to the soil. So I give back to the soil before I try to take from the soil. Okay, so for rotation, do you, you might have already touched on this, would you do similar vegetables or does it, doesn't it matter? I don't think it really matters. I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're doing a heavy feeder, which in an urban environment, I don't think you ever would unless you have some squash or high demand for squash. Depends on how much money you can get out of it. I mean, you know, the nice thing with Curtis Stone's spin farming is, he calculates how much he tries to calculate how many cuts he can get out of that bed and how much dollar he's getting per square foot and so for me i have a lot less land so i need a lot i use a lot less crops i think the more land you have the more crops you can use but the less land you have the less crops you want to have because you're going to want to have the highest paid crops you can get and then you want to be friends with other farmers like some of these veterans you meet and then maybe you get in with your microgreens and then you go and you're like, well, Dave, you meet Dave and Dave has beets. And then you ask the restaurant, hey, do you, do you use beets? And they're like, yeah, we use about 20 pounds a week. Okay, do you want me to, do you want to buy like five pounds and try them out and see if you like them? That's what I do. So we were talking before at lunch about um, you moving towards winter vegetables. Yeah. So in the case of, say, you... You know, for January, you're planting beets, and then you decide you want to plant another root vegetable. Does that affect crop rotation? Hmm. I'd assume so. I mean, I, I, I would say if, if you're going to embrace crop rotation, I would just try to put 
add to the soil and put a new crop in there every time. Okay. Yeah, I think right now, like, I couldn't plant anything realistically. Yeah. But I could have done, uh, let's say, in, like, end of September, maybe early October, I could have planted some spinach, and then I could have tarped it, and then come back, and there'd be spinach ready to harvest, or carrots, or anything like that. There's, I'm not on that level of farming yet, so I don't even try. Okay. It's good to know. Yeah. Okay, next item on the list, greenhouse skills, which I also would assume means hoop houses. Yeah. Um, my hoop house is a piece of shit, but it's great for an urban environment because it was $500 off Amazon. I don't get a lot of wind. Uh, Michael Jordan had the same hoop house, and it lasted him four days. Actually, I think it lasted him a day. And then the, Wy- the Wyoming winds oh, yeah. threw his hoop house around. He had it secured. So... Um, my hoop house wasn't secured actually all last winter. It actually was fine because um, we had moved it. And then in the spring, things started to get. Oh no no no! I secured it in the winter time, but it started getting squatchy like in like January. And so uh, my backyard wasn't level. And so Rich goes, "Hey, we need to level this hoop house." He's trying to tell me what he wanted to do, and I'm just looking. at him like, "Okay, you think that's gonna work?" He goes, "Yeah." Then I'm like, "Okay, tell me what we need, and then I'll go get it, and we'll do it." Like, I don't need an explanation. Like, if you think this is going to secure it better. Then we start doing it, and I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this isn't it. So we got some boards, and he made sure the hoop house was level. Um, but mine was just a kit that I bought off Amazon. I set it up pretty quickly. I got a big one because I had a big backyard. But if you have a little yard or you have a spot that you can put a little greenhouse, and if you're doing microgreens in the summertime, you could even get one of those little uh, butterfly that you can get those little greenhouses people use for like butterfly houses. Get a ten by twenty flat, put them in there, and just grow your microgreens outside. Okay, so so that's a good side topic of, um, you know, if you're so inclined, you can build your own hoop house. But I'm sure not mm. many people are not willing to do that. You got a kit. We did that at Joel's, um, and it actually wasn't too hard. It cost about five hundred dollars, and it it worked out pretty well. Um, we had a whole crew that helped build it though. It would take a long time to do, but thankfully like we had a whole crew, so we got it knocked out in a day. Yeah. Plus you have the, the smaller ones that you talk about mm-hmm. that could equally do this. Yeah. I think the the thing is, is that you have to figure out what works for you and what, I mean, it's just like permaculture, right? Like what, what can you do on your land? Like you don't have any land, but I think you have a back porch. No, we don't even have that. You have a balcony? Nope. Okay. However... There are urban farms that you can do things on. Really? In, in fact, you know, my girlfriend, when I met her, she had a, a raised bed, a plot in an urban farm. That sounds like a garden, like an urban garden. Yeah, it is an urban garden. And they're, they're not in she, the... In did the, she pay for it? She did pay for it, but yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a modest fee. But um, it was good soil in that raised bed, and she, she's kicking herself to this day for giving it up. But those kind of things are all over D.C. They're not plentiful. I mean, you find them in little nooks and crannies here and there, but it's it's not like they're not there, and you can get a plot. So you guys don't have cats or animals? No. Do you have a basement? No. You have a... We have, well, let me correct myself. We, we have a basement storage area, but that's it. Do you have a space where you could put a shelving unit and some trays with some lights? Yeah, we could do that. It would be tight, but we could do it. Yeah, it's a great way to get started. Yeah. Because honestly, uh, when you get started with farming, um, I don't think you want to drive through D.C. to go to your plot of land and no. water it and then find out all your crops are dead. And it's like, damn it, this is... Yeah, she's 
<laughs> she, um, you know, just just to give a little bit of a history, that that first plot she had was the most productive. Okay. A second plot she had was at the um, what they call the old soldiers' home in D.C., which is his it was his historic land, and they. Um, they allowed you to put a plot on their land because yeah. they had lots of land, provided you get a, nom- a nominal charitable donation to the old soldier's home, but the soil was very poor. Yeah. So she didn't really do well with that. And then she had a third plot, which really didn't produce anything because that was bad soil. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, she's tried it, and she has a lot more experience with it than I do. Yeah. We could easily start it up again, provided with, that we, we have, we're forearmed with the knowledge that we would get from permaculture and something like this. Yeah, I think, man, I honestly think for your situation, microgreens or any herbs that you can grow indoors, um, I would say you want to be as close as possible to that that plant because as a guy that had to drive 40 miles and 40 minutes for, you know, a a full trip to and from his cooler every time he wanted to, to get to his cooler, that sucks. This was you? This was me all last season. So, I mean, that sucked, man. So I'd have to harvest, then I'd have to stuff my fridge refrigerator up with microgreens or whatever product I had until I was done so I could immediately get you know get it into cold storage. Then I had to pull it out, and I had to have these bags, and I'd load up these bags, and then I had to get some ice packs and throw the ice packs in these bags, and I'd load up my car, and the AC went out, so I definitely needed those ice packs. And then I had to drive all the way out to Dublin, sometimes in traffic, Um hit some construction zones, get out there, get to my cooler, load it up, come back, hope that my cooler stayed on. You know what I mean? Because I'm not there to see. So you want to have like a good home base operations. and I Minimize your variables. Correct. Correct. Okay. Next item, cultivation. I don't even know what that means. Cultivating your crops. Oh, like growing your crops? Yeah, and harvesting. Okay, well... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Harvesting is a separate item on the yeah, list. Yeah. So cultivation is... Planting? Planting, weeding, mm. tending, you know. Yeah, so weeding and tending sounds super annoying. I don't like to do either of those. So what I did was I used landscape fabric as much as possible. Well, you also tend to have... You also have, uh, shall we say, they're low-maintenance plants. I have, yeah. I don't know why you'd want to farm high-maintenance plants, that's for sure, unless you get some insane dollar amount to Yeah, them. we're not going to grow wheat or no, corn. No, So, you know, for cultivating it, the good news about seeds and soil is if you have good soil, so those seeds, they're just going to do itself. Just make sure it has water. If you get plenty of rain, you probably don't even need to water them. Now, because I do salad greens and the sun can mess with salad greens, uh, I make sure I water a lot. I probably watered too much, but honestly, my soil was always kind of wet, and I liked my soil kind of wet, and my lettuce always looked healthy. So, and then I also had, um, I don't like weeding, so I used landscape fabric, and then I just burned holes in landscape fabric, and then when I plant my seedlings, I just put, put my finger in there, and I'd stick the little seedling in there, and I was like, hey, this thing's alive. It wants to stay alive. And I just planted them in green side up. Let it be free. Let it be free. I think a lot of times people just overthink this stuff. That's something else I got from Curtis is green side up. People want to baby their plants and all that stuff. It's like Yeah, you mentioned you that at the top of the conversation is that you just you just do what you need to do and let it grow. Absolutely. You got it. That's it. 
Yeah. Well, very low maintenance. I'm all for that. Absolutely. Okay, so harvesting. That's another item. So harvesting, I because I, I, I thought I was going to be growing a lot more arugula and other crops, I invested in a greens harvester. Um, and then I share it with my buddy Joel. Um, but So I'll use that for arugula, and that saves me a lot of time. But lettuce, unfortunately, you need to use a knife. And that's pretty simple. Um, I use knives. I have a longer knife. Actually, Rich does for the microgreens. Um, Diego Footer will actually have a video of me harvesting microgreens. But, yeah, I mean, don't cut your hands. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's my biggest advice. Don't cut yourself. But it's pretty easy to harvest. Make sure you harvest when it's cool outside. First thing in the morning is usually the best time to do it before the sun comes out. Mm-hmm. Like, the sun's not totally out, but it's light outside. What about in the wintertime? Wintertime? Uh, I, you want to probably, when it starts to get cold, you want to harvest in the middle of the day cause that's when it's warm. And if there's any dew that was on the plant, it wouldn't have frozen on it. Um, microgreens, you just harvest them when you're ready inside. Outside, you want to do it first thing in the morning. Um, you know, it's, it's too, we don't get enough sun here to really do an outdoor grow of microgreens in a hoop house. So like I harvest, I tend to harvest in the morning still just so I can get ready to make deliveries. Yeah. Cause I want, I want to, I want to deliver my stuff as soon as I cut it. If I'm sitting on product, then I'm not making money. Yeah. At the farm in North Carolina where we go to, um, they, they harvest in the morning. Yeah. But particularly the fact that it just, it just gets so hot down there. Mm. So they're up at, and going about, about six, six, six 30 yeah. and then they stop about nine thirty, ten o'clock. Yeah. They you, take a rest. Yeah. They have lunch. And they don't go out again until maybe three or four, and then they work for another couple of hours, and the sun goes down. That's, That's it. it. Yeah, yeah. They, they it, pace themselves; they know how to do it. Yeah, you have to, man. I mean, just because there's always work to get done on a farm, and it doesn't mean it needs done right then and there. Yeah, just at some point. Yes, sir. Okay, next item: land assessment. Yeah, I mean, you want to avoid. Uh, I mean, Curtis Curtis covers this really well in his course. I mean, you want to avoid like very annoying weeds. So Canadian thistle, um, purslane is not a bad weed because you can eat it. Um, lamb's quarter you can eat too. Uh, but, you know, you want to avoid any, if you see thistle or a lot of dandelion, dandelion's not as bad, but if you see thistle, that's a no-go. Or pigweed, something like that, that's a no-go. I mean, you're going to have weeds that you deal with. I mean, it's, it's, they're not really weeds. I mean, they're, they're serving the soil. The soil is going to make that seed grow for cover. So in the case of your land, what did you do in the beginning to assess it? Uh, for my land now? Oh, I was farming no matter what. So that didn't, I didn't really assess it. So I you, thought I had a full plot. I didn't realize half of it was uh, blacktop. Yeah, well, what I mean is, is, is specifically in the case of, did you ever do any soil samples to find out if it was poisoned and couldn't grow anything? No, I didn't. A lot of people recommend it, but it was a community garden before. Okay. Um, when it was abandoned, um, my neighbor told me that. But yeah, no, I was I was going to grow no matter what, and if if something happened, then I was going to. I mean, you you can. Um, I mean, if you're growing in a city environment, you're going to find some stuff. I mean, yeah, it it is recommended that you definitely take a soil test in a lot of parts of the city. Thankfully, chemicals hadn't been sprayed in my yard for over 10 years because the house was abandoned for eight years, and it what? was just. And I had a, I cut down a bunch of trees. Yeah, I have an example for that. I do know somebody who bought a row house in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago. 
and they had a soil sample done. <clears throat> but they found out that they couldn't grow anything there because it had been contaminated with lead. Yeah, no, lead, that, ga- lead gasoline. Yeah, that happened. Um, that happened to a friend, a friend of mine and her family because her son. They found lead, and they found out it's because they had gotten their painting done, and they scraped the paint, and then the lead chips got in the ground. Yeah, um, it requires probably thousands of dollars of remediation to yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you before you do buy a, a house, if you plan on doing this, you buy a property. I definitely recommend getting soil samples. I mean, I was renting my spot beforehand. But I got lucky. I'm usually pretty lucky. I'm just gonna be honest. Okay. So what would you what would you recommend to somebody that run into the problem if they had poisoned land and they can't spend the money to rehabilitate it? I mean, I'm uh, think I'm also thinking about permaculture. And we cover this in our course where you you know what your your nitrogen fixers are to help rehabilitate the soil, but yeah. I guess there's only so much you can do if it'd been contaminated. Yeah, if it's contaminated, I mean, I I just rake up all that grass and throw a bunch of wood chips on it, and if you can't inoculate the mush, the wood chips and mushrooms, but usually the mushrooms are already going to be there's already going to be mycelium in those wood chips. Yeah, and then um, you can grow some trees, put some trees in there, some nice perennials, and let them do the work, and the the mushrooms will suck up that metal, and you probably don't want to eat those mushrooms, but daikon radishes too. Yeah, daikon daikons are. Uh, yeah, I think root crops too, but man, if if that's your problem, that's a whole lot of work and not a whole lot of reward, and yeah. I'm not that pro-Earth. <laughs> that's nice to know. Yeah. I mean, I'm pro-Earth, but I mean, like, I got to make sure that it benefits me to help the Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next item, pest and disease management. I don't get diseases. Um, a lot of it is because I add to the soil and I take care of the soil. Um, I've not had any issues with bad seed. Um, I buy organic seed. For the surrounding trees in the area I have, there's any been uh, ever been um, some diseases of the, the trees and yeah, I mean, like there's that? a box elder tree in my neighbor's front yard. All those get diseases and die. They're kind of shitty trees. Um, it's also called the maple ash. Um, they have little box elder bugs that go on them. Um, there's actually Jew's ear. <laughs> That's the name of the mushroom. It grows all over. It's Jew's <laughs> something, but it's called Jew's ear. And it hasn't been politically corrected yet. Yeah. It's growing on it, and that's actually a good mushroom. Um, no, I don't have any problems with diseases. Pests, man, those fucking squirrels I hate. So oh, what I yeah. did is I got a squirrel trap, mm-hmm. and we caught a squirrel, and Rich told me that squirrels couldn't swim. And I said, they can't? And he goes, no, watch. And he took the squirrel in the cage, and we stuck it in a tote with water and then handled that squirrel, and then we butchered it, and it's in our freezer. Mm, nice. Yeah, I mean, if we're them's good eating. We haven't eaten it yet. Um, yeah, they are, and it had a healthy organ. So a lot of people are like, "I don't eat city squirrels." It's like, why? I mean, they're going to be a lot less around chemicals than you would in the country. If they're not going to be disease farming. vectors like rats are. Yeah, yeah. So squirrels, I have, I have issues with squirrels. Um, still, we have a trap set in the greenhouse now, but none of them are eating it. Um, so they certainly don't have any problem with deer. No, no problem in deer in the city. And if I did, I'd probably shoot it and eat it. Yeah. The farm in North Car- bow hunting laws in Ohio. The farm in North Carolina, they have a high fence, uh, so that's not a problem. Mm. How about uh, raccoons? Uh, I haven't seen a raccoon in my neighborhood. Possums, I've seen possums. They Pro- shit everywhere. And problem. I have cats around, too. Yeah, problems with bugs? 
No, I have good bugs, man. I don't. I don't have. Um, I have the bugs you want. I feel like I've created an environment that invites these species to come live there, and they do. So, what would you do if you did have pests and bugs? Mm, well, I had some slugs. I got a lot of slugs, and I bought Sluggo. But I was like, man, that's not you. So uh, I just stopped planting a crop around that those slugs. Um, so just don't plant the attractors. Yeah, I mean, if you have if you have a lot of pests that eat the type of stuff you grow, then yeah, I mean, so flea beetles I struggle with. So I bought insect netting, mm-hmm. and I used it one time, and I made like seventy dollars off this crop, which paid for more hey. than paid for the insect netting that I used. Mm-hmm. So you got your return on it. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay, now we get into the interesting stuff. Financing. Financing. So I had a good job, and I used all my own money, and that's how I did it. Have you ever considered Patreon as some of the financing? Not for a farm. No, I I have Patreon for my podcast. I mean, that's... No, I mean, you could try to do crowdfunding. I think crowdfunding is kind of dying, though. It's kind of dead. Why do you think that? Because you have to have an audience, and you have to have really good incentives, and a lot of people don't. Okay. Uh, branding. Yeah, I uh, paid a guy, my friend, to make a cool logo for my farm's name, and um, so I like it. I mean, I I thought Capital City Gardens was a good name until a nursing home started started up and used my same name, and then I was like, oh, I'm not protected because it's a nursing home and it's not a farm. So even though I own the LLC in the name, it didn't really matter, and then. One time, Maurice called called me and told me that he needed to uh, get a portable potty because he was about to poop himself. And I thought that was hilarious and shared that message with all my friends. Well, a lot of my friends, not all of them. I didn't share it with you. And, uh, yeah, so I'm changing the name of the business to Capital City Greens. Okay. So what are the ways have you tried to brand yourself? Um. Yeah, I just, and how does one brand oneself as an urban farmer? You know, I just show up to the farmer's market and I talk to people and they ask me where I farm. I'm like, yeah, I'm an urban farmer. I farm in North Linden and I'm a 15th of an acre in the hood. So you're, I mean, the next item on the list is the marketing. And we've, we've touched on this before. Is yeah. that it's a word of mouth and you have a good product. Yeah, word of mouth and a good product, absolutely. Your logo is secondary money and tertiary. Yeah, I mean, I have a website that captures information, but I don't use it. Has anybody mentioned your podcast when they come visit you at the farmer's market? No, but actually, oddly enough, a bartender at the brewery where the winter market is asked me about starting a podcast. So he must have looked me up. Like I must have impressed him or something uh, when I talked to him. And he looked me up and looked up my farm and said, hey, I saw you have a podcast. What do you? How do you get started? I'm like, dude, yeah. I mean, anytime you want to talk, I'm like, pretty simple. I use Podcast Blast Off. My buddy Nathan owns the company. He'll help you out. So is it safe to say that you're you keep your podcast and your farm separate? Yeah, I I like to. I mean, the, me farming is a part of the podcast, obviously. But you know, I I have some pretty controversial topics these days, so I try to uh, I'd rather them get to know me and then listen to the podcast and say, you know, I never thought of that that way. Um, because a lot of times, I think if if you don't know me and you just listen to the show you don't know the context of me. And it's like, in, in a lot of times, you don't realize that I'm not plugged in because, you know, some people will be like, oh, watching Fox News and Alex Jones. I'm like, no, I don't watch either of those. I'm too busy observe. farming. I'm too busy farming, and I think about shit. I listen to books. 
I'll listen to podcasts, and that's it. Have you ever thought of doing one of your episodes as Farming as a Political Act? No, I haven't. Uh, this is just something that kind of came back to me in our conversation with you because I was thinking about me when I was at your point. Um, I talked to Curtis Stone about it uh, when I first had him on the show, and we both kind of talked about that because that's his politics too, and he's he's pretty he's he used to be like a, a communist when he got started, and then he actually started running a business and realized nobody gave a fuck about his social justice values or views yeah that that tends to happen doesn't it yeah okay uh next topic record keeping that's big we kind of covered it uh i track my sales i haven't entered it the data yet or processed the data mm. but every farmer's market i write down my inventory what i've sold i'm sure you what keep, time i sell out and i'm sure you keep your inventory at home yeah. Um, How much effort? I mean, have you have you has it come to the point where you're kind of like Curtis Stone, where you're you're meticulously tracking what your activities are worth in your garden? No, I mean most most of. I mean, I'm I'm I may, I'm paying myself a pretty high wage for the amount of time I put into it because Rich is there. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's different for me. Um, I'm not at that point yet. I think. Uh, I only do the income. I mean, I do I do the activities in my mind that make the most money, and that's mm-hmm. harvesting and delivering mm-hmm. and selling. Mm-hmm. Um, the growing aspect, I don't mind, but that's that's Rich's. Like Rich really enjoys that, so I let him do it because that's what he enjoys. Yeah, not that I don't like it, but I just don't prefer it. Yeah, you're more of the the face. You're the face of the farm, not yeah. the operations manager. Correct. Okay. So if if you were doing everything yourself, and this, I'm sure this was the case prior to Rich, uh, how well were you doing that? Um, before he got there, I was doing well. I had all my beds planted out. I just started doing microgreens again, um, and I fucked them up, but then I started doing them well again. Um yeah, I was doing okay with the micros. I wasn't, uh, they're not the quality that they are now, but Rich has had a whole season to get it honed in and he's still honing it in. I need to get more involved with Rich in doing that um, so I can give Rich time off or yeah. tell him, dude, I want you to take a week off mm-hmm. and enjoy yourself. Yeah, so he doesn't get burned out. Yeah, mm-hmm. or just so he doesn't hide into the work. Yeah. He likes to work. Mm-hmm. That's not, if you live in my house, you can't just work all the time. I'm not okay with that. That's true. That's true. Okay, next item, QuickBooks Basics. QuickBooks is a great tool. I like it. I, I taught myself um, most of it. I still don't understand. But, yeah, QuickBooks Basics, that's a great skill to learn. Um, yeah, my friend talks about QuickBooks all the time. That's what he used. It's an excellent, yeah. it's a, it's the excellent accounting and tool. You, and you can, uh, you can merge Profit First and QuickBooks together, mm-hmm. and that's actually wonderful like that helped me so much with my bookkeeping i keep all my own books so okay and the last item on the list is business planning <laughs> i have so, okay, i have so, opinions about business planning okay so so let me preface this preface this with my own comments um having never run a business i can't speak authoritatively on this but having talked with people who have run a business and Many years ago, having looked at business books and thinking, okay, 
So on, they always ask, they always talk about what's your business plan. Okay. It's not hard to put one together. So what? Let me finish oh, my thought. Sorry, so, sorry. so you can put it together. And again, looks good on paper. But what they don't include, what they never include, are your particular circumstances, your variables that you can't control and that you can't control. And they talk about goals, but I, whenever somebody brings up the subject of goals, I always go back to Scott Adams. Do you, do you look for goals or do you put a system in place? And is the system really better for, for your business plan? And tying back into your earlier comments is, should you be in this business in the first place? If you do get in this business, how can you make it enjoyable, self-sustaining, and giving yourself enough room to grow instead of exponential growth right out of the gate, which is just going to crash and burn at the end? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think exponential growth right out of the gate is a pipe dream, and that's a media darling story, and uh, we're not media darlings. No, we're not. We're so, not unicorns. So, are, are, you gonna, are you going to get a loan from a bank? No. You don't need a business plan. No. no. That's what I thought. Yeah. This is what you need. I'm not going to I'm not going to get VC money, any of that shit. Yep. So um yeah, you don't need a business plan. You need to have some ideas on what you want to grow and where you're gonna sell it, and that's it. Where you're gonna grow it, what you're gonna grow, where you're gonna grow it, where you're gonna sell it. How are you gonna how are you gonna what are you gonna do for your accounting? What are you gonna do for your time management? Focus on those five things, and you'll be fine. And that's your business plan. If you're not looking for, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, so my business plan was I'm going to grow some shit and sell it, and that was it. And not and some of it for your own consumption. Yeah, and 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 what kind of fucked me on that was because I didn't know how to manage the money I was getting from the business, and I was putting in a lot of money, and I wasn't tracking any of that. Cash flow is king. Yes, and that's why I, I swear by profit first. I'm an evangelist for it. I do remember somebody saying that, um, you know, one of the <clears throat> one of the online YouTube personalities I like to to follow, and he he has he has put out several videos just trashing MBAs, thinking they're a complete and utter waste of time. He's in his opinion, yeah. he says, if you want to run a business, start a business. Well, not only that, you start a business, but if you want to learn something about how to run a business, start your own business. There are two fields: accounting, finance. That's it. Specifically accounting, because you need to have your cash flow straight. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the one thing with accounting, too, is you don't want to be a bean counter. And traditional accounting methods aren't that great, because it's just, okay, is do I have more do I have more income coming in than going out? Like, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't have one bank account and do that. Like, that's why Profit First is so good. I mean, Profit First, you, you run your business off 30% of your revenue. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot do that, then you need to get more sales or you don't have a viable business. So what else does Profit First, um, you know, because one of the things I wanted to cover apart from this particular business was like the architecture of the business, yeah. which is, <clears throat> so I don't know Profit First and I'm going to investigate it, 30%. But what does Profit First talk about the architecture, we'll say, of the business? Um. I mean, uh, I mean, this is what Profit First is about. It's, it's, the architecture is a little bit different. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, it ties into, you know, everything that we covered in this list is mm. 
this is how you're running a farm business. Yeah. You know, one thing I left out of the list that I don't think is relevant here is tractor operations and maintenance. I'm certainly not going to be no. on such a farm where I need to worry about tractors. No, that's, that's, a, that's a liability that you don't need. It is a liability. But for definitely things like financing, branding, marketing, yeah. your bookkeeping, I what, mean, kind of cramp, what kind of crops you're going to plant and so on. What you need to focus on for your architecture is what am I going to grow? Where am I going to grow it? Who am I going to sell it to? Once you get to who am I going to sell it to, then you're going to say, what am I going to do with this money? How do I manage taxes? That's like the biggest thing that freaks people out about running a business is what do I do with taxes? My buddy does sales copy, Nathan Frazier. Like Nathan's really good at it. Like Nathan's like online marketing. He's like one of the, he's getting up there as one of the top guys. Like he was telling me he marketed, he helped this guy market his course for him. And this guy, um, sold the rights to his course in the Atlanta area for, for distributing his course to people from this, this, this marketing and the sales process that he put together in the guys for like a webpage for the guy. And he sold it for a lot of money. Like, I don't want to say the amount, but it was, it was like, it was like life changing money. And Nathan was getting paid. He had to raise his prices for his hourly consulting fees because he had such high demand and he's still working part-time at Walmart. Now, why is he working? He's making more money in this business. Then we go out to California and we're in the car. We're going down to this, see this guy, Shane Hunter. He's like one of the top Facebook online marketers guys. I'll probably have him on. He's, 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 he's a lot like me, like sense of humor wise. And we're just going there and I'm in the passenger seat. Nathan's driving and he looks over at me. He's like, Drew, I don't know what to do with this money. I have, yeah, like he had a he had a lot of money sitting in a PayPal account. That's because the kind of, that's the kind of problem you want to have. Yeah, and he's like, so what do I do with this money? I'm like, dude, set up the five bank accounts with Profit First. So this is how Profit First works. You have five bank accounts. The first one is real revenue. You put all your money into real revenue, and then you let it sit there. And then on the tenth and twenty fifth of every month, that's when you pay your bills. That's when you use your expenses. So then you, what you do is you cycle that money. So you have four other accounts. The first one is taxes. That's 15%. The next one is expenses. That's 30. The other one is owner's pay. And he recommends if your business does less than $100,000, you pay yourself 50%. And then the other one is profit. That's 5%. So it's like, so it's weird. So it's like, well, how, how do you know you're going to have a profit? Because I'm running my business off 30%. So this 5%, you don't touch for a quarter, and then you pay yourself quarterly bonuses with that 5%. You know you're going to turn a profit if you reduce your expenses. Correct. And a lot of accountants, you try to say that to them, and they're like, but then you have to, you have to, um, whatever it is with your bank transactions, you have to resolve your bank transactions or whatever. Balance your checkbook. Yeah, but so with QuickBooks, you have your five you have your five accounts and then you create categories in QuickBooks and then you transfer the money out and then you go into QuickBooks and you mark that you transferred it for this. And then whenever you pay yourself that fifty percent, it's just an owner um like owner uh withdrawal or there's another word, there's owner contribution and then there's owner something else. I don't know. So Maybe I've been doing it wrong. I have an accountant that I got through Profit First, and I'm sure he'll tell me. But I think from the looks of it and the conversations I had with him, I'm I'm doing it right. And 
And I think I know I'm doing it right because, when I, I mean, like it was cool to see because I invested a lot of my personal money into the business to get some infrastructure done when Rich was there because we had to buy shelving, we had to buy this building. And then like I was investing money into it and then I'm like, dude, you really need to run this business off 30%. And it took me a while to do it. And then I did it. And then it's like every month I saw this debt that I had for the year just continuously go down and down and down. And then it's like, okay, then I'm just evening out. So it's like uh, you are taking control of your business. Now it's slow now, so it's hard for us to grow. Like I need to invest in some infrastructure in my basement, which is why I was thinking about doing this USDA loan. Um, why would you need a USDA loan? Because I don't have, I didn't have the cash uh, reserve because I had to get a new roof and I had some automotive things I had to fix. I had to spend like, I had to spend about three grand pretty quick. And what kind of strings are attached to that loan? Um, it's a low interest loan. I'm still getting more information. I'm going to find out. It's a micro loan. It's super low interest, and I think it's like 15 years. I know who finances those loans. Yeah, Ginny May. Yeah, yeah. You know what Ginny May is? No, it's that Fannie Mae's sister. Well, Fannie Mae is for commercial mortgages yeah. and home loans. Ginnie Mae is for four specific types of loans, one of which is in a USDA home, mm-hmm. farm loan, but also the FHA and the VA home loans. Okay. That's part of HUD. Okay. Housing and Urban Development. Huh. I know this because I worked on... But they're low Medicare. interest loans, right? Yeah. Well, the, well, for the VA specifically, you know, if I if we were yeah, to get yeah. my girlfriend and I get a property, I'm definitely using the VA loan because there's no down that's payment. What, that's what Joel did. Yeah. I mean, it's an I'm entitled to it. Yeah. It's part of my benefits. You should use it. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, so that's it. So that's profit first. I mean, honestly, you learn more about it while you're doing it. I I'd highly recommend reading the book mm-hmm. um, because it it just talks about like just different things. Because Mike Michalowicz, when he came up with it, like he was this angel investor mm-hmm. at the time because he had one business that was really successful. He made a lot of money, and then he wanted to have all these businesses, and he just kept throwing his own personal money into them to make him working. Right. So he called himself an angel of death investor, and he takes like a lot of. Uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff. It's like a lot of concepts from Dave Ramsey, and the it's basically the envelope system in your bank accounts, mm-hmm. and it's and it's super easy with QuickBooks. So. Yeah, yeah. My friend talks raves about QuickBooks, but. You know, going back to what I was saying before about the architecture is, <clears throat> um, my friend and I have had many conversations, and even to this day, he just kind of shakes his head, and he says, I don't understand why it's so hard to grasp business concepts. And I says, okay, well, as somebody who did not grow up in a business, yeah. was never exposed to it at, a, at an early age, you weren't either. No. Most people, they go work at a job, mm-hmm. and their employer takes care of all the incidentals, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Your taxes, your 401ks, if you have one, your health insurance, if you have one, and so on. Yeah. And, you know, I had junior achievement when I was in school, and it seemed pretty, seemed pretty logical and straightforward. But what you find out is when you get out in the world and you try to get involved in the business or running your own business of, again, the variables that are outside your control, you put yourself in a system like your profit first, you have all your buckets, you use your QuickBooks to keep track of your cash, which is important. But then you have the things like, you know, we talked before about how do you anticipate demand? Well, first of all, what do you want to grow? And second of all, how are you going to anticipate demand? Mm-hmm. How are you going to get the word out? If social media is not yeah. going to work, then you do it by word of mouth. And then most importantly, you know, what I, what kind of always made me skittish about getting involved in the business, and I'm talking generically now, not specifically with this, is dealing with customers and dealing yeah. with people. It's like, I have a product here that I want to sell to you, yeah. and if you tell me you don't want it, that's fine. But if you 
if you try to blow smoke up my ass for whatever reason is that I tried to sell it and I sell it before and then you want to come back over me and then you want to ju- you want to you know you, um, you want to jew me down <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be politically incorrect but uh, you want to no, jew me funny. down and you want to play games with me when it's just a simple transaction you know yeah. where I'm going with this Yeah I think you're you're thinking about a lot of obstacles um that haven't even happened and yeah, probably won't happen prem- prematurely Yeah yeah, you need to look for reasons why you can do this, and it's easy when you work a job and you're trying to start a business to look for reasons why you can't. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So I think you know you just got to hit the pavement. I think you network with the vets. Figure out if you're already maybe somebody wants to buy microgreens from you. That's possible. And sell them themselves. Yeah, and 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 for you, I think as a part time business, I think that'd be ideal. Maybe you don't make the the same revenue, but if Hey man, you're getting that thirty percent, and guess what? You got a business now. It's a home base business. Yeah, and it's you're gonna it's, need a home office for your home base. It's business. just getting me in the habit too. Yeah, of doing that. Yeah, just like you have a habit when you, you know, if you work from home like I do most of the time now, or if you go to an office. Yeah. Periodically, it's just you get up and you get yourself in the routine. Yeah, you know what's funny was some lady goes, "Isn't it hard to stay motivated?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> no." Yeah, like, I mean, like if you hate your job, it's it's yeah. Tough well, to be it's like yeah, like working from home. I heard that's so hard. I'm like, no, I work for me. I'm yeah. psychologically unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> it's in L.A. in a shared lift ride. Um, yeah, man. Well, I tell you what, are we good? We're at the we're almost at two hours, and you got to get to dinner here soon. Yeah, sure. So to close off, I'll just I'll just read one of the last paragraphs under the list that says what's what's also included in this training package is that you'll receive textbooks. Okay. Mm. Two delicious home-cooked meals and snacks each day of group training. Oh, that's worth it. One-on-one and small group instruction mm. and individual support and consultation between training weekends. That's good. After you graduate, you will continue in our, on in our network of graduates with learning, social, and business opportunities forward to you as they arise. Cool. I think, uh, I think that's great. You'll train alongside other veterans and military personnel. Maybe that's good. Maybe they're crazy. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. And with that, I think I've covered everything I need to cover. Cool. Well, Tim, thanks for uh, coming on, man. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Well, um, thank you very much, Drew. I do appreciate it. As somebody who's been there, you can show the way. Yeah, it's. I like getting asked questions about farming because then I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I do know a lot about this. Or I do have opinions to say about this. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, too. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Anytime you're in town. Sure. All right, guys. Thanks.